listening to a podcast this week, and the host uh, quoted a study that said that American pastors were polled, and 70% of American pastors said that the people in their church were fearful about the future. 70% of American pastors say that the people in their church are fearful about the future. And I think that reflects just what we're talking about in this series, that we live in a world that feels so unstable. Some things that we thought we could always depend on are just not present in the way that we thought they would be. We feel the instability of change in our culture, and it does make us afraid about the future, afraid of what our children or grandchildren are going to inherit in our world. And so that fear is there, and what I've wanted to talk about in this series are the, the, the powers that are at work in our lives that can help us feel stable in the midst of that instability. And so we spent three weeks really talking about the nature of God. We began talking about God the Father, that God was, He is, that He always will be, that we can depend on God's presence no matter what's going on in the world around us. We talked about the fact that Jesus is still Lord, always will be. And last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit is active among us, His people. So we take that and really everything else is built on that, the very nature of God and the fact that God exists in the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a great mystery and yet something we can build our lives on. Today, I want us to take a little bit of a turn in this series and move away from talking about the nature of God to our relationships and how relationships can create a sense of stability in an unstable world. Now, here's the thing. Our relationships are interesting because they can be one of the things that does create great stability in life. Like we have relationships that we've known for our whole lives or maybe for the whole life of the other person. Years and decades have passed and that relationship has encouraged us, strengthened us, given us lots of things that we need and yet it's also true that sometimes relationships can bring the greatest instability in our lives, right? They can do both. You know, I grew up, honestly, a pretty sheltered childhood. I had it pretty easy. My parents were great, provided everything that I needed, that my brother needed, showed us love and kindness, all the things that you could really ask for. Had a good relationship with my brother and my grandparents. My, my paternal grandfather passed away before I was born, but the other three were a part of my life at least on a weekly basis and sometimes more often than, not, than that. And so all these people were really important. And with no first cousins, no aunts and uncles, it was really that family unit that we, we shared life together. And then 40 years ago, last month, when I just turned 14, my, my paternal grandmother passed away after battling cancer for several months. And you know, it was the first death of someone that, that I really cared about, that was really part of my life, the first time I had experienced that. And I had this sense that nothing was ever going to be right again. Like, we would never go back to that day. Nothing would be the same after that moment. And, and the truth is, it was never the same, right? When, when someone we love passes away, it's never the same. Now, I didn't think life could ever be normal again, and it was but we couldn't go back. And so a relationship that had brought great stability in my life and, and, and a person who showed kindness and love and encouragement in all kinds of ways was suddenly gone. And because she was gone, I felt instability. Now that can happen for lots of reasons. 
You may have people that you've spent life with and then experience the loss that comes with death, whether it's a parent, or a spouse, even a child, a friend, and, and all those things that we suddenly have ripped out of our lives. It makes us have this emotional vertigo that we just don't really know what we can depend on anymore. Or maybe it's not death, but a diagnosis that someone we love receives, or maybe we receive it, and we know that from this moment, like when we walk out of this doctor's office, nothing is going to be the same as it was before this moment. Everything's going to change from here on out. And we have to grapple with that. And that can be uncomfortable. And it can make us afraid. It can make us feel like the world is unstable. Or maybe you've been in a relationship with someone that, that you love, that you care about, a person that you could tell virtually anything, and they told you stuff going on in their lives. Wow. We got some interesting stuff with our mics today. Try again. Okay. And then suddenly the relationship is broken. Maybe it's something you did, maybe it's something they did, maybe it's some circumstances in the relationship, but something's broken and and that relationship is not there anymore. You can't depend on it. It's been jerked out of your life. What do we do with all that? Today I want us to think about those relationships and what scripture has to say about that. And to do that, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. Now, several weeks ago, we spent several weeks in one chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, talking about church life together. Today I want us to back up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to jump into that in a minute. Paul's writing this letter that in many ways, as I said before, is a, a handbook for church life. That's basically what we see here. And he's writing it to this church in the important city of Ephesus, an important church in the ancient world, and this city that was filled with the worship of the goddess Diana and filled with what they called in the ancient world magic. Now, we're not talking about card tricks, sleight of hand. We're talking about they believed they could cast spells on people or change events by the spells that they, you know, that they spoke. They could do these magical things, these dark arts. And Paul wants to deal with that in the letter, and he does it in this passage, and then circles back to what I think will help us with the relationship. So, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's in the middle of a prayer, and this is what he says. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul prays for two things for the Ephesians in that verse and a half. First of all, that they would have hope. We should be a people of hope. Now at the beginning I said 70% of pastors say Christian people are worried, are concerned, are fearful about the future. And yet we're supposed to be a people of hope. So what's going on there? Well, we can be worried about the future and still be a people of hope, right? Because our hope is not that everything's just going to work out, right? Because we know that's not the way the world works, that there are times really bad things happen. We know that we experience sickness and death. Those things happen. But our hope is in things eternal. Our hope is in that God will bring all things together in the end. So that's where our hope is. And he says, I want you to have that hope that is based in God's power. I want you to experience God's power. Now, Paul is not saying, I want you to have the exercise of God's power. I want you to feel that kind of power that you can use in our world. That's not really what he's getting at. 
What he's saying is, I want you to feel God working through you with his power. So God's power at work in you, and he's not talking to individuals so much as he's talking to the church, God's holy people. You might say, well, I'm not a holy person. He's talking to anybody who's put their faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus, for Paul, you're a holy person. So hope and power, what kind of power? He's going to describe that. Middle of verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength. And the words there are really something like that power is the same as the powerful power he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, including the goddess Diana or any of those magical spells they might have, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Paul says, I want you to have hope, and I want the power of God to be at work in you. What kind of power? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. For Paul, the greatest display of the power of God, in fact, the greatest display of power, period, was Jesus raised from the dead. Now, as we've talked about before, there are several people who are raised from the dead in the Bible, and they all died again. Okay? They were given life back, but their bodies still aged and they died. For Jesus, it was different. Jesus was raised from the dead, defeating death, and eventually ascends to be with God in heaven. So this is more than the other resurrection that we see in Scripture. This is a resurrection victory over death. And Paul says, if you want to see power, it's the power of Jesus raised from the dead. And in that moment, Jesus is given power and dominion and authority over every power at work on the face of the earth. Whether we're talking about one of the goddesses you could name in the Greek pantheon, or whether you're talking about your supposed magical dark arts that you're using at work against your enemies. Whatever you think is powerful, nothing compares to Jesus. And he's saying, that's what I want at work in you. And then he reminds us that if Jesus is over every power, whether we're talking about a political power, spiritual power, military power, whatever you want to name, if Jesus is over that power, how does he relate to the church? Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Paul says, if Jesus is head over everything else, if he has power greater than anything that we can imagine in the world today, that also means, of course, that he's over his church, his body. Well, who's his body? Well, we are, right? We are the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of that body. He animates, directs. Anything that happens is because of who he is. And he says, we are the body. We are connected to each other as a body is connected. So you can't take a body apart and it still function. It has to be connected. And so we are connected as the body of Christ. But then look at what he says about that body. The end of verse 23 which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
It's very rare in the New Testament that we see the, the body of Christ lifted up in this way. What Paul is saying is, Jesus was present among us in a physical body. That's part of what we believe as followers of Jesus. That he was fully God, that he's the Son of God, and he had a real physical body, just like we do, made up of matter. He ate and drank. A physical, real body. And that body died, powerfully raised from the dead, ascends into heaven. And now, the body of Christ is us. And in that short statement at the end of verse 23, Paul is saying that everything that was present in the physical body, the fullness of everything that was present in Jesus walking this earth, is present in us. His body today. The power of God at work in Jesus, the goodness, holiness, all of those things present in Jesus' body is present in us this morning. And you might say, I'm not so sure about that. Because I've seen Christians mess this stuff up pretty bad and it doesn't look like God is at work in them at all. And the truth is, you know what? We can look back in church history. We can look in our world today. We can look in virtually any church around the globe and find people who have messed this up, including us, right? It just happens because we are all sinners learning what it means to be a child of God. And yes, we mess it up. But when we get it right, it can be an amazing thing for the body of Christ to be filled with everything that filled the body of Jesus when he was walking this earth. And what it says to me is, just like Jesus was here, sort of speaking for God, sharing this message, showing people what it means to love and to give kindness and to die on a cross and sacrifice himself, when, when all that is present within us, we represent Christ to the world. Part of who we are as Christians is to represent Christ to the whole world. And when we get it right, when we do it, we fulfill that mission of showing the world who Jesus is. Now, say, okay, that sounds good. We're the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. We represent Christ to the world. But you started this whole message talking about relationships and how relationships can give us stability and instability. What does any of this have to do with relationships? And here's what I think the two go together. If we are really the body of Christ, with Jesus as its head, we are inherently connected to one another. And not only to each other, but to all Christians around the world. This is not just us. We are an expression, this church is an expression of the body of Christ in this community. But we are connected to other Christians in our community. And we are connected to Christians around the world who are doing the good work of being the body of Christ as part of who we are. But when we get this right, we are representing Christ to the world, but so much of that begins by representing Christ to each other. And so our relationships within the church 
should be relationships that nourish and encourage and strengthen one another. Just like Jesus nourished and encouraged and strengthened his disciples, just like he nourished and encouraged and strengthened people who gathered to hear him teach, he does that with us. And then we do that for each other. The relationships in the church should be the kind of relationships that give us stability in an unstable world. Now, some of you know just what that is because you've been here for a long time. You've worshiped in this room, maybe for years, maybe for decades. And because of that, you have connections with other people in this room and with people who are here at 830, and, and they are like family to you. And that's just the way it should be. So that for years or decades, or as long as we happen to live in this place, we are nourishing, encouraging, and strengthening each other to be followers of Jesus and to be the body of Christ powerfully at work with each other in the world. Now, here's the thing. We say that, but the group of people who have gathered here today to worship, both in this service and our first service, is a group of people who have never gathered in the same place for worship. So I've seen a lot of these people before, but it's never been exactly the same group. Because there are a few people here who are here today for the very first time. Or maybe they haven't been here in a long time. The group changes every week. And so the church that's gathered here today is not the same church that was here five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, nearly 60 years ago when this church was founded. There are very few people who were present then. But there's this great stream of people who have come and gone and lived their faith and died in their faith that stretches back those 60 years that, that continues into the present. Faith being passed down as people nourished, encouraged, and strengthened each other in faith and allowed that faith to grow. And now it's been given to us and our job is to take that and exercise it and show people who Jesus is and allow that faith to then be passed on to our children and our grandchildren and people who are going to come to know Jesus because of the witness of this church so that stream continues on and the people of God are still at work in this community as though Jesus in his physical body were right here. And so here we are, nourishing, encouraging, strengthening each other as the body of Christ. And we build those relationships that can bring stability when we feel so unstable. And yeah, there's going to be times when we mess it up and we'll have to do the hard work of repairing relationships. And that happens because we're human beings and we just do that. But it also means that we've got this work to do with Christians who are not in this place today. That we need to be bound to just like we're bound to each other so that we can all represent the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus in our world. And, and we're connected with Christians all over the world through our missions program. I mean, we work together. We are partners in ministry with them to do the same good work wherever they are that we're trying to do here to encourage and nourish and strengthen each other. And I begin to think, well, this, this is all about the same mission 
when God created human beings in his image with the job of reflecting the image of God to the people around us. I mean, this, this part of Christianity that Paul brings in here is the same mission of representing Christ to the world around us. And I begin to think, what could our world be like? I mean, what would it really be like if, if regular Christians, just like us, rep, uh, de decided that suddenly it's not up to me, right? I, I'm not in charge. Whether I'm a, a pastor, an elder, a teacher, or hold any other office in the church, we're all going to be under the headship of Christ. And what we're going to do is try to nourish, encourage, strengthen each other, and then turn that outward so that the world would see who Jesus is through who we are. And if we did that with Christians in our community and in our nation and around the world, what would happen? I mean, if we look at the statistics today in the American population, what we find is we're not doing that great. We are not gaining in numbers. That There are people falling away from faith. But if they saw us really building into one another and building into the communities that surround us and making them better places to live in the name of Jesus Christ, who would be drawn to be part of that? To be part of what God is doing in the world today? See, that's our job. We represent Christ to the world. And it's a huge responsibility. And it's also a great opportunity to fulfill what it means to be fully human and also fully part of this body that has the fullness of Christ at work in it. So let's take our job. Let's take our responsibility, let's take our opportunity and be the body of Christ and represent Christ to the world. Let's pray together. God, help us to, to be your body, the body of Jesus at work in this world. Help us to first be the body to each other and to nourish, encourage, and strengthen one another and then to turn that outward and to make a difference in the community around us. And help us to unite with other Christians and work with them in the same mission. Help us to make things better because of who we are in Jesus. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.